See, I was born in Liberia. My dad is from Nigeria. My mom is from Ghana. My wife is from Stockport. So I'm kind of international. Um, and, uh, you know, I was born on the mission field, and I believe I'm a missionary to this country because uh, the Lord is not finished with Great Britain. And uh, I believe there's still a great awakening that we're yet to see in its fullness that God wants to release over this nation. So God sending people like me back to this land is actually a picture of the fact that God is not finished with Great Britain. So I want you to listen to what I'm about to share with you with faith, ears of faith. I want you to think like this as you listen to what I'm about to say. Because when I'm speaking right now, I'm aware people have come here with different needs, with different things on your heart. But I want you to put this as priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. You may have come here with financial need, you may have come here with a family need and this need and that need, but this one I'm about to say to you, I believe, is seeking first the kingdom of God. When you make God's priority your priority, he makes your priority his priority. Are you with me? So when you begin to put on your mind what is foremost on his mind, he begins to take your needs seriously and begins to meet your needs and just break through because that's what the scripture says. And I really believe God is wanting us to capture a passion for the lost like never before especially for this nation. Now, uh, there's a few stories I'm going to share before I, uh, maybe one or two, before I go into uh, this um, uh, uh, message uh, quickly. I'm going to make it as brief as possible because I want us to spend more time praying at the end. In 1929, um, actually some years ago, I was speaking at a meeting in uh, London, uh, somewhere around London, and when I finished speaking, a guy came to me and he said, um, you know, James, I need to speak to you. And uh, so I was like, great. So he was just visiting the UK from Nigeria. So he said, oh, I need to speak to you about this prophecy. I think I was speaking about revival at that meeting. And he said, you know, in 1929, so this guy saying to me, in 1929, there was a move of God in Nigeria. He said, my grandfather was part of that move. Okay. And he said, in that move of God, uh, some missionaries that were impacted by the Welsh revival were very influential on this move of God in Nigeria. And he said, um, there was a prophetic word that went out during that move that just like those missionaries came and were used as an instrument revival in Nigeria, in years to come, the seed of the land is going to be sent back. In other words, people from Nigeria are going to be sent back to the UK to be a seed for revival right here in the UK. Are you hearing me? So when I heard that, I was really stirred because it made me just realize, without me knowing it, I'm part of fulfillment of prophecy. <laughs> There's prophecy that was spoken before I got here. And I was born to be part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. So I see that I am walking in light of some prophetic words that have been released before I got here. And I want you to keep this in mind. God is not finished with the United Kingdom. Now, in, um, uh, what's it? in 1890, there's, there's an amazing man of God, Dennis Wrigley. Actually, Dennis Wrigley's son, Simon Wrigley, is right here. Is your first time at Furnace? Okay, boy, I didn't know you were going to be here today because I'm going to talk about your dad. He's gone on to be with the Lord. Was he two years ago now? Two years ago? And he was a massive uh, impact in my life. You know, Dennis Wrigley, he had a lot of, uh, just, he had a, a voice of, he had an influential voice in the government and in politics and in all kinds of ways in the church. It was a, a significant man. In fact, we had him at one of our prayer gatherings. I don't know if any of you got to meet him, but it was just an amazing man. And to, we were together at the Methodist Central Hall in Manchester. I don't know if any of you know that place. Apparently, John Wesley preached in that very place. I think it was a different building at the time, but in that very place. And, you know, we're praying and leading a prayer meeting and all that. And uh, I can't remember what I said at the meeting, but again, he came to me at the end and he was saying this. He was saying, um, in, 19, in 1890, there was a move of God in Manchester. Okay. 
And there was a missionary movement that came out of Manchester that impacted the whole world. Now, we said there was a meeting in that very hall I was praying and leading me, uh, uh, that prayer meeting in, and he was a part of. There was a, very, uh, there, was a, there was a meeting in that very hall, and in that meeting, there was a call for people to be missionaries to Africa. And he said, when that call was released, it was said to people that the life expectancy was 29 weeks. Everyone say 29 weeks. So they said, there's a call for missionaries to be sent out to Africa. However, take note before you answer the call, the life expectancy is 29 weeks. Having said that, it was said that there were queues of people from inside, outside. There were queues of people, young people responding to that call. Did you hear what I just said? I didn't say five people. Queues of people right here in Manchester. My question is, if that same call went out today, how many people will respond? Now, the fact that there were queues of people was actually a picture of what God was doing in the nation at the time. There was a stirring. There was something going on. So people's hearts were stirred to be sent out as missionaries. And they were ready to give the ultimate price, their lives for it. But in our culture today, the gospel that tends to be more acceptable and preached and makes everyone feel happy is the, go- is the gospel of comfortable Christianity. God, make me feel good. Pay my bills. Give me a nice husband, a nice house, a nice car, and just bless my life. Amen. That's the, that, that's the gospel that everyone wants today. But if I was talking with our team this morning, I was saying, you know, re- you got to remember that when Paul was called, uh, God said to Paul, he was calling him to suffer <laughs> for the gospel. Ouch. That's not a very popular message with the Pentecostal charismatic church. Suffering. But God called Paul to suffer. And he went through sufferings. So we can't disconnect suffering from the gospel and say suffering is only for people that don't know Jesus, only for people that maybe are not very close to Jesus and now start to measure spirituality by material things. Heaven sent people are not on the earth to extract materialism of the earth. Heaven sent people on the earth to display a glory that cannot be found in the things of the earth. So the things of the earth cannot be the measurement of how close we are to God. Because we're prosperous, because we have a nice husband, a nice house, a nice car, a nice, nice, all these nice things. In fact, most of those nice things just make us so lukewarm and comfortable. That's why we're not having the impact we're called to have. It's it's sad to say, but I wonder whether for God to awaken this nation, it will have to put us in a place of crisis. Something about crisis wakes us up. Because right now, most churches are not praying for the nation. Most churches don't have a passion for prayer. But if there was a national crisis tomorrow, I guarantee you by Sunday morning, every church is having a prayer for the nation. Why do we need to wait for the crisis to help us realize we have a, we have a calling to pray for the nation? So what I'm trying to say to you is, God has a purpose for the United Kingdom. And what God did back then in 1890 of awakening hearts, it was calling people out of comfort zones and people were so radical for God. I believe God wants to do that and more in these days that we're living in. Now, having said that, I want you to turn to Acts 12. I'm going to read a few verses there quickly. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, 
to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant, everyone say constant prayer. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door, the, uh, the door were keeping the prison. Sorry, I read that again. Peter was bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door. They were keeping him in prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and it struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that led to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street. And immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jews. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. As Peter knocked on the door of the girl of the gate, a girl named Rhoda, Rhoda came to the gate. When she recognized Peter's voice, when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her excitement, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But, she, but they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is an angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent... He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said to them, Go tell these things to James, to the brethren. And he departed from there and went to another place. Wow, everyone say amen. amen. So, uh, there's a few things I just want to highlight. I, I believe it's prophetic in these words about the United Kingdom and what God is doing right now. So, um, Herod is in this passage killing. Uh, 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 the, the apostles. Um, Herod is a picture of the devil. Okay. Now, Herod is a type of the devil in this passage, and he is harassing the church. He was a political figure that would do whatever the people wanted because he, he was desperate to maintain his popularity. So Herod is not a Jew. Herod is harassing the church for no other reason but to gain popularity with the people. I'll say that again. Herod is harassing the church for no other reason but to gain popularity with the people. Now, Herod is destroying an apostolic expression of the church. Okay. Now, I want to take that a bit further. Popularity-driven Christianity is destroying an apostolic expression of the church. Christianity that's based on just names and being popular with the people is destroying the apostolic expression of the church. Because I want to say this loud and clear, this Bible is not politically correct. And if you want to be popular with the masses, you cannot be popular in heaven. Yeah. 
If you want to be popular with our politicians today and be popular with the nation and everyone and all the, everyone's saying this is what's okay, this is what's not okay. You cannot be aligned with God's agenda and also be seeking to be popular in the eyes of men. And I feel this popularity-driven Christianity seeping into the church so much that we're so scared to stand for what is true anymore. There's become such a dilution of the gospel that we're just, we're, just, we're just giving our yes to everyone out there. And we're not standing for what God really says. And many Christians today are more familiar with the words of a preacher than the words of Jesus in this book. Heaven helps those who help themselves. It's not a scripture verse. Proverbs 32.1. No. Did you hear what I just said? Heaven helps those who help themselves. It's not a scripture verse. There are many quotes we learn, there are many things we learn, there are many ideas we hear, but they're not in this book. So we end up being indoctrinated by ideologies from people who are not really walking with God many times, but just have cool things to say that sound good. The fact that it rhymes does not mean it's God. Uh Uh-oh. And there's so many great articulate preachers right now who can preach you into a frenzy, who can get you so excited, but that doesn't mean it's from God because there's some solely stuff going out there. There's no spirit stuff going on. Now, I'm not here to just bash anyone out there because I don't have anyone in mind when I'm saying this. I just know there's a spirit out there that's trying to entertain the church into a place of comfortable Christianity such that all we want is just to look cool. All we want is just to be accepted by the world. And all we want is everyone to look, look at us and say, okay, well, yeah, you're a Christian and we love you. Now, you've got to understand, he says, if we're friendship with the world, is enmity with God. The, you know, you see how, you see how toxic our, our political climate is right now? how it's been since Trump and since Brexit and all this stuff. It's so toxic. Uh, It's it's almost impossible to be a Christian as the leader of a political party and stand for biblical values. Is anybody hearing me today? See, I've not come here to preach a political message and try to come against the conservative Labour Party. I'm just trying to help you understand that we're living in a very toxic environment and the pressure is increasing upon us like never before to be politically correct, to sound good, to look good, to fit in. But I want to say to you, we will not fit in with the world. We cannot afford to be the church who is just trying to fit in with the world. We've got to be confident of what God has called us to be. Now, I'm not trying to say we're going to be horrible and nasty and just bashing people left, right, and center and say you're all going to hell. That's what I'm talking about. We have to have the grace and truth and walking in love, obviously, but we cannot compromise the truth. There's too much compromising of the truth. I'm going to say it loud and clear, okay? I don't even know if I've ever, I think I have said this before. Abortion is wrong. Okay, And there are many things that we have now come to a place of accepting as okay. Living with your partner before you get married, according to Biblical Sunday, is wrong. There are many things that we've accepted as okay. Well, the fact that culture has now started to accept things that culture didn't used to accept does not make those things right. See, regardless of how advanced the culture gets, the standard of scripture will never be lowered to the standard of culture. The people of the scriptures are called to change the culture to come to the standard of scripture. Not to conform to the system. So many people are changing their theologies right now. Oh yeah, you know, this is what's popular right now. You know, know, uh, same-sex marriage and uh, all these things. Everyone's changing their theology to match 
what everyone else is saying is okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching hate. I'm not preaching getting angry at people. I'm saying what the Bible teaches is what we're standing by. Because I'm telling you, in the days to come, this will become more and more unpopular. So do you want popularity-driven Christianity? Or do you want, a, do you want an apostolic expression of the faith? Because if you want popularity-driven Christianity, you will not be able to walk in the apostolic expression of the faith. That mindset of going after the masses and being popular is killing what God actually wants to release. If I am bothered about what you think, then I'm not going to come out here and say what God's telling me to say. Because all I'm concerned about is you liking me. So me wanting to be popular with you causes me to dilute my message. And the same applies to you, wherever God sends you. Now, I know that people who have taken it to the extreme and who are bigots and horrible about the faith in many ways and are not great examples. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about you who want to walk in love and truth and be an example. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to love and then dilute. No, no, no. The same love that's intense and actually dying on the cross for us is the same love that's intense in releasing judgment against sin. And all the things that hinders love. Are you with me today? Okay, so we read on and we find out that Peter, an apostle, an apostolic expression of the faith is now in prison. So Peter is bound. And Peter is, uh, is in chains. And, uh, and I, I think there are different expressions here we need to look at. I think Peter is also a picture. Now, Peter is in prison. Peter is, is sleeping. So I believe... There are different expressions of the church here. Um, there is the church in chains. There is the sleeping church. And then there's the church of constant prayer. Peter was in a place of being bound in chains. He was asleep. That is a picture of the church today. Bound in chains and asleep. Now, it's amazing that you know, we, I always like to say, you know, the cross of Jesus is not about sin management. It's about sin eradication. So Jesus can either set us free or we're just joking around having these meetings in here and crying out to is, This is either real or it's a joke. So that tells me we cannot be a people who call ourselves Christians and just tolerate sin. And just tolerate addictions. And just say, well, that's just the way it's meant to be. Jesus came to break those chains. But many Christians today are cohabiting with the enemy they're called to evict. So what is actually meant to be your enemy, you're now, cohabit you're now cohabiting with it and saying it's okay. And you're just living that lifestyle. And by, coming in, by cohabiting with this enemy, you're coming into agreement with this enemy. It could be compromise. It could be sin. It could be whatever it is. And because you come into agreement with it, now it neutralizes your authority against it. Because you cannot bind what binds you. So there's a church sleeping. And there's a church in chains. What amazes me is Peter did not... Um, uh, do anything to experience the breakthrough he experienced. Peter was just sleeping in the prison, minding his own business, probably getting ready to die. He was just asleep, but the only thing that was different was the fact that a church was releasing constant prayer. Everyone say constant prayer. 
I want to ask you a question. How much prayer can you pray along the lines of God set Peter free? How can you exhaust that prayer to the point where you're praying through the night for one point? In the church, our stamina to pray is so weak. In fact, sometimes you feel it. You say, let's pray. And then people have a stamina for maybe a few seconds. And then the momentum drops. And people are not engaging anymore. Because we don't have stamina to push spiritually. We have more physical stamina than we do spiritual stamina. And this church here, the fact that they can pray all night for one request tells me they had a, some sort of stamina in them. And that stamina was the thing that caused Peter to be set free. Now, I am convinced that for what God wants to do in the UK, the church needs to arise to a place of greater stamina, spiritual courage, spiritual strength. It still baffles me how they're able to push in in prayer for just one request. If I said to you right now, you know, uh, a member of our church is in prison and they're bound and they're about to kill them tomorrow. Okay, we need to pray for God to set them free. We, we, I mean, I'm sure we're going to pray fervently that God set them free. But how long we're going to keep that fervency? I don't know. Because there's two things here. Everyone say tenacity. And everyone say intensity. This is the spirit of violence. Because of the intensity of the darkness and Herod, Herod, for lack of a better word, opinion, that spirit of Herod that was killing the apostles is very much alive today in greater intensity. And the only thing that that spirit can respond to is spiritual violence. And the spiritual violence has two things in it. Intensity. You, you cannot tell me you're being intense in your prayer. And I'm looking at you and I can't tell you're being intense. Intensity affects emotion. Intensity affects body language. Intensity is not always about volume. I know we like shouting in here. Intensity is not always about volume because Hannah was praying intensely for a son and no words were heard. But the person who saw her praying could tell something intense was going on. I want to tell you British church, because this message is not just for people in this room. It's for the United Kingdom church. The kind of prayers that we need to break the chains holding people down, those kind of prayers are not casual prayers. They know I'm drinking my coffee, having a nice cool time prayers. They're prayers of groaning and intensity. But sometimes we're not going to pray intense until we get into intense circumstances. And I want to say to you, let's not allow intense circumstances to be the only thing that draws us to learn how to pray intensely. Show me the person that can pray intensely without crisis, and I'll show you the person that's rightly positioned to deal with the crisis when it arises. Some people in the church in the West need to learn that spirit of intensity. Now, I didn't just say intensity, intensity and tenacity. Tenacity speaks about not being affected by time. That, Lord, we're going to take a stand until. Everyone say until. Until. We're going to pray. Everyone say until. Until. And you ask me, when is until? I don't know. 
until we see the manifestation. Ask Elijah when he was on the mountains of praying. Elijah, how many times are you going to pray? I'm not sure when Elijah put his head between his knees and prayed intensely the first time. I'm not sure he knew the rain was going to break on the seventh time. I'm convinced he would have kept, he would have kept praying the way he did until he saw a sign. But today in the church, we say we're going to pray for a move of God. We say we're going to pray for God to impact our churches. And we kind of lift our voice and pray. And then we're like, oh, God, I'm tired. If you move, fine. If you don't want to move, that's your business. I can just get on with my burger and my family and have a nice time. It's like, you know, so we are eating burgers and witches are fasting. Did you hear what I just said? We're having a nice time being cozy and people on the dark side. Are, okay, I need to just digress a bit because you need to understand this. There is a story in the New Testament that, sorry, in the Old Testament that baffles me. In 2 Kings, Elisha releases a prophetic word. And in the prophetic word, he gives the, the promise to the people. I think it was Joshua and some other armies that were with him. That they were going to win a battle. So Joseph and the people with him went into that battle with a prophetic word from Elisha, who had double portion, okay? So this is not just some random prophet. This is Elisha, the prophet. He's spoken a word, and we're expecting that word to come to pass. They go into the battle. They're winning the battle until, everyone say until. Until the opposition, the king that they're fighting against, he got out his firstborn son that was in line to the throne, and right there on the battlefield in front of everyone, he sacrificed his firstborn son on the battlefield. See, guys, you need to read this book if you've not heard that story before because there's some crazy stories in this book. The Bible says when he sacrificed his son, the battle turned. There was a shift in the battle. Why? The enemy out-sacrificed the people of God. Muslims pray five times a day. Witches fast and they pray against you and me. And we just pray when we feel like it. See, they have a prayer culture. We have a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting will not overthrow a prayer culture. And whoever is stronger on whatever side dominates the spiritual atmosphere. So if we are not strong on the light side and taking our authority and releasing our authority, those on the dark side are doing exactly what they want to do. Causing depression, oppression, and havoc all around the place. Until we, the church, arise and take our positions of war. And I'm convinced that the church of constant prayer is the church that God wants to raise up in the United Kingdom. Are you hearing me today? So that church is going to be intense. And that church is going to be tenacious. There is no such thing as giving up in our mindset. We, we don't understand giving up. It's like warriors going to battle. We go into battle knowing that we either die or come back victorious. <laughs> and even dying on the battlefield is a form of victory because we're giving our lives for the gospel. And we don't care. It's like, God, you do whatever you want to do with me. I am not giving up. I'm going to go to my grave. Listen to this. I'm going to go to my grave I would rather go to my grave believing that God is not finished with Great Britain and praying for a great move of his spirit because I believe his prophecy than go to my grave in unbelief, in doubt, in cynicism and discouragement. Many people in the church have prayed for a move of God in the UK. Oh yeah, I pray for, yeah, I pray for 10 years, I pray for 20 years and I've not seen anything happen. So you know what, I guess God is just going to do whatever he wants to do and I can't be bothered anymore, it's up to him. No! God still wants our partnership, and we cannot be the people that give up. Okay, my last point on that, and then I'm going to get into this word. 
and finish. It's going to be a few minutes. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel prophesied a lot of things that they did not see come to pass. But they did not go to their grave in unbelief. They went to their grave in faith. And that's how God wants us to live. That we're, we're going into a, a grave. If, 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 you know, if the move of God doesn't come before we leave this planet, you know, that we are fighting to the end, believing for the best and contending for a move of God and not giving up. So how does this word connect to where we are right now? One day I was just spending some time praying. To be honest, I wasn't actually praying about the United Kingdom. I was just having my prayer time at home, praying the Spirit. And I just felt the Lord highlight this passage to me. And the Lord said this to me very clearly. I couldn't shake it up because I had never thought of this before. The Lord said to me, the United Kingdom has an apostolic calling to the nations of the earth. And the Lord said to me, Peter in this scripture represents the United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom has a prophetic calling. Now, if you look at the history of this nation and look at the fact that English is pretty much the language of the world and look at what God did with the United Kingdom, you realize this nation is apostolic. It's a spiritual gifting, a spiritual calling. Now, I do admit there were people who used this on the negative side. But really, look at the impact of the gospel that came out of this place. My Bible right now is King James. I know my name is James, but the Bible was translated right here. Okay? So this nation, is, this nation has a massive... Uh, uh, this nation is significant in God's heart. This nation is not just some random nation in God's heart. And I believe God is trying to call... Now, I don't understand a lot about Brexit. This is probably my most political message <laughs> so far. I don't understand the in, and the in workings and outworkings of Brexit and this law and that law and we need to be in the customs union and whatever. I don't understand all of that stuff, but I believe that God wants this nation, you, some of you may understand this, some of you may not, to be a sheep nation and not a goat nation. There is a parable in the scripture where there's a, there's a definition and a separation between some goat nations and sheep nations. And I believe this nation is on the pathway to being that. Now, this nation is Peter. And this nation is bound. And this nation is in prison. And when I say that, I'm talking about the calling of God on this nation. And it's not just that. This nation is asleep. And when I was receiving this revelation, I feel like God said to me, I'm calling you to raise up a canopy of prayer across this nation. Because it's the prayer movement that's going to wake up the nation. Everyone say the prayer movement is going to wake up the nation. And when I felt that calling, I thought to myself, well, Lord, I don't know how to raise up a canopy of prayer. I don't know what that looks like. So that's why I never really shared this word until now. Because I'm processing my head, Lord. I'm not quite sure I know what that means to raise up a canopy of prayer across the nation. But as we've been praying and I've been just every now and again just weighing this word and thinking about it. Now, I know there's a lot more to the word than what I'm sharing with you right now. However, I am convinced that even what we're about to do with this awakening tour, are you hearing me? Across the UK, 
is almost like a seed in responding to the word of calling the nation to be awakened. As we begin to awaken the movement of prayer in all these regions of the United Kingdom nations in Wales, in Scotland, in Ireland, in England, that we're seeing something shift. So when we're going out to the nation, it's not just because, oh yeah, that's what some ministries do, they go on a tour. I believe we're receiving or we have received a prophetic call from God to awaken the movement of prayer that will be the church of constant prayer that will cause the prophetic calling of the United Kingdom to arise. Listen to me. Remember the story I started with about Dennis Wrigley telling me that in 1819 there was a missionary movement? I believe in the days to come, just like there was a missions movement coming out of the United Kingdom and impacted the world, Hudson Taylor, you name them. All these incredible missionaries who impacted the world. I believe in the days to come, God is going to raise up another missions movement. Thank you for the five amens. I said God is going to raise up another movement of missions from these shores that are going to go to the nations of the earth with flaming arrows and there'll be a voice of awakening there'll be voices of revival but before God sends those people out he wants to start an awakening right here because if they're sent out without being on fire they're going to go out and reproduce lukewarmness so they have to be set on fire in here and then sent out like flaming arrows so that they can set other people on fire. Because fire begets fire. Lukewarmness gives birth to lukewarmness. I was speaking here at the Message Trust recently, a roundup now, and I was saying to them, you know, it's very important that as evangelists, you're not just preaching the message from a place of just comfortable and being lukewarm and just, just compromise. Because if you preach from a place of lukewarmness, when people respond to the gospel, you're reproducing your lukewarm lifestyles in the new believers. So their normal is now lukewarm. And then when they see someone on fire, they think that's weird. Because they came to faith in lukewarmness. And many people are coming to faith in lukewarmness because people are just... See, see now, I, I, I do believe in great communication. I do think it's important we learn how to communicate. But many people are coming to faith just based on some arguments. You can't convince someone into the gospel. It's an encounter and conversion. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And that work is not based on your articulation and your communication gift. Now, Holy Spirit can ride on that. But it's not your ability to communicate that changes people. If you don't believe me, ask Peter on the day of Pentecost. Read Peter's sermon and tell me if, if that's the most articulate sermon you've ever heard. Okay? It wasn't the most articulate sermon you've ever heard. But what was different was the fire. The fire on that sermon caused people to be born. And 3,000 came. And those 3,000 came into fire. Fire was their normal. No wonder they were able to pray through the night years later. Because they were born in fire. Maybe the church is not praying through the night these days because we're born into lukewarmness. The pastors and the ministers are releasing lukewarmness everywhere. So the church is just dull. And then they see some guy preaching about prayer. Like me right now, you're watching on the internet. You're like, what a crazy guy shouting and just going crazy. This is not crazy. This is passion and this is normal. This is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is passionate. 
And I'm telling you, there is passion within the British DNA that has been silenced because of political correctness or maybe some sort of shame of what happened in the past. I feel like God has called me to awaken the British people to their true identity. British people, you are lions. Do you hear what I said? Lions, you're meant to roar. Where is the roar of the British people today? Many of the British people are just, are just cozy and scared in their churches, not trying to offend the Muslims, not trying to offend the politicians, and they're just hiding away. When there's a roar within you, why are you going to be silent at this time? When the nation needs you the most, and all you want to do is want to be cool and calm and collected. You know, you're a man and you, you're not releasing the roar of God within you. The church, now I know myself and Robin, the team, we're talking about this, how the church has been turned into so girly that some men are, so, are kind of, you know, going away like, oh, the songs are too flowery and they're too girly. And I'm saying, you know, yes, we sang it today. It's a warrior bride. There is a warrior within the bride. The bride is not just about Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you. The bride is also also about giants, I'm cutting your head off. Giants of pornography, I'm cutting your head off. Giants of immorality, I'm cutting your head off. Giants of depression, I'm cutting your head off. You can't cut the head of giants by being passive and being lukewarm and being politically correct. You have to let the warrior arise within you. Where are my British people at? Wake up, warriors. Because I'm telling you, there's something in your DNA that needs to wake up for the purpose of the destiny of the UK. It's not time to be cool. It's not time to be, oh yeah, I'm British, I'm conservative, I'm just going to drink my cup of tea and be cool. No. There is something in here that needs to arise. That's saying, not in this nation, not on my watch. My kids are not going to be taught that rubbish in school. I'm not going to tolerate this on my watch. Let the roar arise within you. Now, I know Winston Churchill, you know, sometimes for some people is a negative figure. But in many ways, he's a very inspiring leader. Because God raised him up at the time where he, if Winston Churchill was not prime minister when he was prime minister, you would all be speaking German right now. So God raises people up in times as, you know, with specific agendas in mind. And I believe there was something about his tenacity that actually captures something of what the British people call to be. Like a, a, a fortitude on the inside that will not, oh my gosh, no retreat. No sur- Everyone say no retreat. No surrender. No retreat. No surrender. That essence is in the British DNA that you never give up. But I am seeing so many wimpish Christians that are giving up so easily. And I just trying to be cool on Facebook and just trying to be cool online. And I don't want to offend anyone. I'm not trying to say we go out of our way to offend anyone. But I'm saying that you can't be confident in who you are and what you believe in because you're so scared. And the toxicity of the environment is going to increase. And if you don't learn how to stand now... How are you going to stand when the Antichrist comes? If you cannot stand now, how are you going to stand when the Antichrist man... Oh, you don't believe me? Read the Bible. The Antichrist is coming. Jesus is coming again, by the way. Okay? It is not just fairy tales. These things are real. So we need to think like this, and we need to begin to wake up as warriors 
who are warriors of love, standing on the truth of God, but walking in love and being a light to the world. Loving people out there, but not compromising the truth. I believe God wants to awaken the apostolic prophetic calling of the United Kingdom. And it's connected to you and me. Responding to being people of constant prayer. That is what this UK tour is about. Thank you for tuning in to Preston Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. For more information and teachings, go to www.preston.org.